My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. As both a creative and a businesswoman, Estelle Bailey Babenzian sits at the intersection between art and commerce. She's a partner in the clothing brand Noah with her husband, Brendan Babenzian, the former design director at Supreme, and an interior designer whose clients have included Adrian Grenier. Born and raised in the UK and of half Ghanaian descent, Estelle moved to New York in 1999 with a fashion degree from London's prestigious arts and design college, Central St. Martins. Brendan designs the clothing, while Estelle designs the interior architecture and spatial experiences of the brand's retail spaces in New York, LA, London, and Tokyo. Today, her company, Dream Awake Inc., is a full-service interior architecture and experiential design studio that houses her multidisciplinary creative projects as well as her philosophy for life. So welcome, Estelle. Hi. Hi. So let's start there with your philosophy for life. What is it and how has it evolved since you first moved to New York from London? Massively. I've been here now like half of my life and, you know, I've been here since I was 22. I'm now 44. Actually, I came here earlier than that. I think I was 21. And um, there's a very much, New Yorkers have been a play, a huge part in my formative life of just evolving into a conscious adult. I definitely think during this early years of, of like having the best, most wild and exciting time in New York, I've instilled a sense of, I guess, ethics and workflow for myself and creative thought and almost like manifestation, if you will. I learned a lot about meditation and vision and goals and really practiced that. At the same time, I was having a lot of fun and unfortunately being not always a legal immigrant here and having to find ways around it and travel back and forth a lot. But um, ultimately it was my dream to be here. And that is why I have this company called Dream Awake because against all odds, I came here alone, no family, and I've managed to make my dreams come true. You came at a very tumultuous time in New York, right? 1999, you know, so the 90s are, are pretty much over. And that, for a lot of people, that was kind of the end of downtown. We were followed quickly. The dot-com bubble mm-hmm. burst right around then. So, like, the economy was, like, tanking. There was Y2K madness. People were afraid that the world was going to end, you know, and everybody's computer was going to blow up. And then 9-11 followed right after that. That was insane. Yeah. So, I mean, you walked right into this very transitional moment, yet you were very optimistic, it sounds like, at the same time. Yeah, because, you know, New York, I left London because I felt 
you know, I went to a very prestigious school. Great. It was, I was in fashion, but I felt like it lacked a sense of place for me, a woman of color that wasn't snorting a lot of cocaine. <laughs> time, it was quite pretentious in London. It was, you know, very much mm, darling this, darling that. Are you in high society? And, and honestly, it was very much like this white bubble of high fashion. And it felt quite vapid and pretentious. And I didn't really see how I could evolve in that space or even contribute positively to, positively to the world. I'm like, what am, you know, in my own purpose of what I'm contributing to, to create a better place. And I sort of got disillusioned with fashion in general. And I was like, okay, I need to pivot. I was still a student at St. Martin's. It was my year. It was a year when I had to um, do a work placement year. And I was thinking, you know, I do love entertainment. I love fashion. I like culture in general. And music was a place where I felt, you know, this is where I, music makes a difference in people's lives. Like this is really can shape someone's life, change someone's life. And it's such an important element of just, just life in general, like the enjoyment, the pleasure of it, the sincerity of it. And I really like the authenticity of it. So I kind of wanted to change my career and make it about creative direction within music. So when I first came to New York, I came with this idea of just finding a job in the music industry, but still it had to make sense for my degree because I had to be a work placement that involved style and marketing and design. And luckily I found a job and I, I worked with Virgin Records under a small imprint label called Chiba Sound and we had D'Angelo and Mark Ronson. And honestly, it was just the energy. I knew I wanted to be in New York even before I got here. It's, it feels like a place where anyone could make it. And yes, I know it was the end of that incredible downtown moment, but it still had some grit to it. It still felt like anyone can make it here as long as you've got hustle and a dream. It was less about what family you're from or what school you went to. Everyone had an opportunity to make it if you were smart and you had ideas. And it was still really diverse. So I felt like I fit right in. People were open to me. They obviously, they loved the English accent, which was cool. <laughs> That's yeah, always been a you know, thing in New York. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had some hurdles. Not everybody got my um, sense of humor and not everybody got my very like honest and blunt, you know, not unsensitive way of expressing myself. Felt that didn't go over very well. I had to adjust a little bit. But for the most part, it was like, oh, it felt so, I love London, don't get me wrong. And I love to go back and visit and get inspiration from incredible element of just English people and London and fashion and style there. But in terms of being able to make my own way here and be, be actually considered for things, for opportunities, especially in that, at that time, you know, within music, because I think at that time, urban music was really on the come up. So for me, it was super fun. Like hip hop was huge. R&B was huge. We were just coming out of that incredible 90s R&B time, early 2000s. And so it was very exciting. I mean, granted, it be, that definitely got tarnished really fast when I learned the real truth about what the music industry is and quickly <laughs> pivoted to back to design in a different realm. But yeah, I was like, 
I was so excited. And even though we, and, and, and I was, I managed a group, I moved them over from England. They, they, the first day night, they arrived on the eve of nine 11, actually oh, they God. There at night and they woke up in the morning, <laughs> oh. moved in with me in my flat uptown in Harlem. I was managing them, two girls, two friends of mine from London, two sisters. And, you know, we woke up to the news. I was like, put on the TV. Have you seen what's happening? And it was insane, insane, but still the camaraderie and the way the people came together and the city came together was still really phenomenal to me. Right. The best part of it was exactly what you're saying, the camaraderie. And New Yorkers tend to get better during crisis somehow, even during COVID. People yeah. started to get nice to each other and care a little bit more about how everybody was doing and things around that. So yeah, and I understand that. Were you going out to clubs and just partying and being that kind of girl? Oh, for sure. I mean, I didn't do drugs and I'm ne I've never been a big drinker, although, you know, free drinks galore at that <laughs> time. Every night is a different event. When I was working with D'Angelo and, you know, Mark Bronson at Chiba Sound, so I was in the music industry. And I also, at that time, had clients. I, you know, managed to figure out a way to also get paid by music recording companies from Europe as well and, and consulted on some albums and projects. So, yes, I was out. I was having the time of my life and it was great. But I was still very much a proper English girl, I have to say. I didn't, you know, give it up at all. And I Proper I, English girl? What's that? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely questionable. Like, definitely questionable. But... Um, no, yeah. I, in terms of, you know, I was serious about my career and I really wanted to make a mark. And I wanted, I was an ambitious young person that felt, I had no money though, you know. So I was like, I, I felt like if I was to be taken seriously, then I had to behave in, in a certain way. But definitely I have fun DNA and I was definitely enjoying having a lot of fun in the music industry at that time. There was so much going on. It was it was a great experience until it became not a great experience. Yeah, anything specific that happened or just yes, uh just in terms of you know a mentor of mine and he's was super high up in the industry and he still is. He's like super high a high up executive who became a good friend. And he was like, Estelle, like look around you, all the women that are at the top of, of this industry, creatives that aren't artists that are either managers, because I was trying to manage as well as be a, like a, an artistic director for groups. And he was like, they all have to be complete bitches and assholes to be part of this really misogynistic, chauvinistic, obnoxious men's club. And the ones that were successful, they weren't married. They, they didn't have children. They were sacrificing a lot of their other, other things that I wanted for myself in my life to, to sort of compete and to be part of this male-dominated industry. And, you know, he wasn't telling me to sort of give up or to try to change, but he was like, is this what you want for yourself? You know, what is happiness to you? And it, it was true because I was, was really kind of, wasn't really being respected or taken as seriously as I, as I found my male counterparts that even, you know, had an intern that would just shut up, better, you know, because he's male and, was just respected and seen in a different way. And for, for me, it was very challenging. And the, yeah, there were women that were able to slip in there and sleep their way to their way up a little bit and then suddenly crash down because they thought it was working and then it wasn't. And there were other ways to gain recognition that I would, didn't want to partake in. 
But ultimately, I saw that it wasn't really going to work out for me as I would have hoped. And I, and it wasn't a life that I, I wanted, even though I loved music and I still do. And I believe that it had an impact. So I quickly, I pivoted to listen to my inner voice of what really made me tick creatively and how I can apply that to a, a different industry where I can create still use my skills my natural skills and and have an impact a positive impact and also have a positive impact in just my, my in my lifestyle and what was that was that straight into design from there yeah it wasn't actually straight into interior design it was more initially it was i've had you know more art direction but in more fashion projects and then i created a brand with an ex-boyfriend which was called Bill Willie. It was like a purpose-driven brand where we had principals and we mentored kids and we we designed garments and we sold them in like we had we sold them Colette at one point in Paris and these other high-end stores. And we sold them to make money for some of these mentorship programs that we believed in. And it was great. I mean, it was always this thought process of like using what we're good at and trying to apply that to a greater purpose more responsible and more conscious choices. And that was super fun. Ultimately, me and him didn't work out. It wasn't like the best <laughs> situation. So then I started doing more design in retail environments, doing visual merchandising and store design. And then I remembered, I'm like, you know, I've always, yes, I love fashion and I like the idea of concept stores and designing experiences. Like for me, it's always been about, how do I create an experience, whether I'm art directing a photo shoot or songs on an album when it was or like a video shoot? It was, it was about trying to create a vibe and a public experience. And then I remembered I love those shows on TV, like the renovation shows, but for um, often they were like in faraway places. And I was like thinking, yeah, I think I rather than just doing fashion, I want to create and design spaces. So a friend of mine, incredible designer and graphic designer and also interior designer, was working on a project. He saw my talent and he was like, yeah, come and work with me, design with me on, on this one project and like get started. And that was excellent because he was a very small team. So I got to do a lot of stuff that an inexperienced interior designer wouldn't, wouldn't normally be able to do. You know, and I just paid my dues. I didn't get paid very much money for it, but it was amazing to have that opportunity and then and at the same time I was still like flushing out this concept of having my own store with a potentially with um a, 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 like a um an in-brand within the shop as well as selling other things so I was still flushing out that concept while I was freelancing and getting more experience doing design and then Brendan and I met and he told me about his brand that he had closed He'd started Noah way before he went, way, way before I met him and closed it and then went back to Supreme for several years. And then when I met him and I heard all about Noah and he heard about what I was trying to do, it just seemed to make sense. We're like, we got to do this again. Like we were both purpose driven. We had our beliefs in what fashion could be. And also we, you know, cared deeply about how things are made, where things are made. But didn't, but neither of us are like particularly crunchy granola, like overly, you know, like we are, we have this aesthetic and that we shared and principles that we shared. 
so yeah we we restarted his brand with a new um slightly new ethos and intention and that was almost almost six and a half years ago although we were working on it for at least two years before we launched it no well you mentioned earlier that your experience with your former boyfriend trying to work together did not work out for yeah. whatever reasons. Yet here you are again with a boyfriend, eventually husband, yeah, doing a business together. So what if it's hard enough just to have a partner that you're not a lover with and sustain that over a period of time? So I can imagine how is your home life affected by this? Is this something that you guys struggle with or like leaving the work behind and bringing it home? And you know yeah. how it is with all these different issues. Definitely. I mean... It can be beautiful and amazing and like, you know, especially at the beginning when we are just sort of birthing this baby and you're freshly in love and it's so exciting. And then you have the baby and then you've got to maintain and take care of the baby because when you have a brand and you own it, it's requires constant attention. Well, when you say baby, you don't mean the brand. You mean you had a, a real yeah. baby also. Yeah, but I actually did mean the brand, but we didn't have a baby at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So we had two babies and it was, you know, exciting and kind of wonderful. But And luckily we are aligned when it comes to our principles about things. But aesthetically, we're not always fully 100% aligned. And I think the brand is very much like, you know, Brendan is the creative leader and director of, what Noah is. It's based on his life principles and how he was raised. But then I definitely brought a lot to that as well and still do. And I don't design any of the clothes, but yes, like you said, I would design our spaces and we work together on creative directing our photo shoots and also just the general ethos of our brand. And yeah, for sure, we get into it often, you know, <laughs> not even going to like try to like make it seem like something it's not. We do, but it also brings us closer together and it gives us this, we have this kind of life mission. Like we're not, we didn't build this brand to sell it and, you know, try to make a hot brand and then sell it off. Like we actually deeply care about it and we would like to create a brand that we eventually see as being a heritage brand. We want to be alone for a long time and we're both using it as a vehicle to sort of do what we do well in our life, like, creatively but also to have an impact and if you know like fashion is not sustainable but if you are going to we do need clothes so we want to offer a position in the market where if you're going to buy clothes you're going to buy from us you know that no one's been harmed in the process that there's no slave labor the the, the materials are sustainably sourced as much as we possibly can the factories are vetted and also we use it as a vehicle where we can impact change Vocally, like we can talk about our ideas and spread awareness of messages of how we feel about things politically, etc. Like business is pleasure. It's a way of life when you're doing something that you love. So I don't really see how we could not do this together anymore, no matter how many arguments we get into. There's also shared just passion and celebrations and joy that comes from it. Yeah, and the mission-driven side of it, I think, is also very important to you, to both of you. You were doing it before it became a thing, guys. Today, even major brands make this claim, whether we have to look under the hood exactly to see if it's really true, or at the same time, they're supporting candidates that are against abortion and things like that. But that's an important 
aspect of what you do and also the buying local and supporting small businesses as a concept. But at the same time, just uh, have to, I can't resist asking about people from the extended Supreme community, you know, of which uh, Angelo Becquet from Awake New York was on my program as well. And people who have been there left started mm-hmm. very different kinds of, you know, almost in reaction to Supreme, what happened there. How do people feel about its evolution into a billion-dollar company of what it is today? Anything you can say on that without, um, I don't want to, you know. Well, you know, I'm not a skater, and but I do, you know, I'm married to one. And I know that the truth of the essence of when Brendan, what Brendan designed as the creative director and design director at Supreme, it was from a very much the skater's punk soul, which is almost, it's anti-commercialism. And it really is about doing the thing and not just trying to buy into the thing. It's not, it should never really have been about hype. The activity should never have been like shopping and consumerism. They were just the clothes that represented the culture that they were in, which was, you know, very much close to the street culture and but also alternative culture, alternative music, thoughts, ideas and progressive. And like having that punk attitude, it's such a phenomenal brand that was built yeah. the of it and the, the true heart of it from Brendan's heart in terms of the clothing that he designs and the music and the culture that supported all of that and influenced that. It was wonderful. I guess these days things have evolved and now everything is affecting the other, like high fashion affects low fashion, low fashion definitely affects high fashion. The boundaries have all been merged and mixed. So I'm not going to be that self-righteous person that says one thing is right or wrong because there's many different objectives and opinions from this. But that's why we created Noah, so we can do your thing. Do our thing and be about it and and that's it. And, you know, we lose out and leave money on the table all the time just by trying to make responsible choices. But the, the idea, we don't have to be the biggest and the richest. We just have to do what we feel is right and fun at the same time. What are the things you like to do is work experiential and create an emotion, mood, when people walk into the spaces that you've worked on? And one of the big things that's happening is this cannabis industry i know you said you don't participate in that oh yeah okay because all right so you and you did work for a company chiba so there's that as well so you know how would you resign a cannabis retail store or and or cannabis lounge any uh, thoughts pop into your head right now it's crazy it's not very interesting a lot of these spaces they're just full of glass and bongs and things like that. And it's very hard to create a vibe that's kind of fresh and contemporary. That's either not like. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's either like the old school vibe of like Amsterdam when it was only legal, you know, and like the lava lamps and all that kind of stuff. Or it's like the whole, like the wellness space. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, I don't smoke a lot of weed, to be honest, but I do love how I feel when I do smoke. I prefer edibles just like a micro dose and i like and i think cbd oils is great and i think there's so much to be said from a wellness point of view but then also just from a instead of drinking a a, you know a sugary cocktail you could just smoke or take a vapor a vapor edible or oil whatever it might be and have the effect of the thc 
And it doesn't have to be so polarized, like in this experiential, in this experience, it just be normal. It just needs to be, it has been normalized, but I feel like if it was, if I was to go to a cafe where it's celebrated, like people go to a bar to celebrate alcohol or indulge and enjoy alcohol. If I was going to a, a cafe that celebrated the pleasure of weed, I would just wouldn't want it to feel like gimmicky. And I feel that there's a lot of preconditioned ideas about what the Apple store of weed seems to be the model. And then there's people who are still doing stoner, grateful dead. Yeah, exactly. There there needs to be a more an in-between. And I feel like that's what I would try to create if I were, you know, because I think taking the stigma out of it as well is still important normalizing it like people still get weird about you know smoking weed or uh, around children like oh because it's like and it's like well it's legal now it's like you have a glass of wine you can also indulge in some weed it's okay yes it's not for children going to be of a certain age but how do we create those environments where it feels inviting where it feels normal and it doesn't have to be super high-end and a little bit pretentious and it doesn't have to be like you said like you know this idea of a smoke den. Yeah, and also, because there are some spaces already, right? Speakeasies or smokeeasies, you know, places that are not legal, but people still go there to smoke. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you'll see guys, and it's very hard for integrate women to feel comfortable in these spaces because they're kind of man caves mm-hmm. versions. So there is kind of a, a search going on right now in the industry, how to figure it out. What is the magic formula that will work for everyone i'd love to um participate in that think tank because i definitely have right? ideas yeah yeah i think it would be great in doing something like that also because of your feel for fabrics and colors and a way of sensitivity that is very much your own i think and part of it probably comes from your Ghanaian background would that be fair to say yeah and just travel in general you know i just mm-hmm. love to travel i get very inspired when i travel and I do like to create experiences, public experiences too, in hospitality and retail and just enjoying like tapping into the senses and how something make you feel. So for me, if it was to designing a space like that, it's like, okay, well, how do you feel once you smoke weed or you're taking hitable? Creating an inspiring environment, I think is important to enhance that feeling and they can all look very differently i don't think i don't think it has to be one way or another i think there's like different versions of it that could all be very very much enjoyable but without being so um stereotyped environments you know like it'd be kind of really cool to go to not your stereotypical weed environment yeah i think that's something that feels like a library even where you can get into books Mm -hmm. ideas or you know Well, smells and tastes and the way people's senses are enhanced. If you can go, oh, let let me smell this or let me taste that or different aspects of that. Yeah, I think you'd be great at that. I'll write your recommendation if it comes (laughs) down to it. But you've also designed homes for Adrian Grenier. I did do Adrian Grenier's Brownstone here in Brooklyn, which was one of my first sort of bigger residential jobs. And it was super cool because it um, it was like three homes in one. A duplex, uh, two duplex, and then a ground floor apartment in a big brownstone in historic Brooklyn in a landmarked brownstone. And we completely 
we renovated it like it was a gut renovation and it became um very much an environmentally conscious home we um had like recycled denim for the installation recycled water solar panels on the roof like so much of the money and the investment that went into the project you wouldn't even see but it was brilliant and it was amazing to be able to do that and it's how homes should be restored and built from scratch because um massively reduced carbon footprint the building materials and also just use of being able to recycle the resources of the house were really ex- exceptional. So, and that was excellent to work with Adrian on that because he deeply cares about those things and so does his mom. And to really, I learned a lot in that process too. So it was like very innovative in the way it's engineered. And then I carried those principles through in the design and the aesthetic of the home as well. How do you approach those kind of assignments? Do you have a long process where you discuss and throw out ideas? Or I'm just curious in how that whole thing comes together. It's interesting. It comes like, and that's why I know I'm definitely at my calling because it just comes very naturally. I kind of have, sometimes it can come very quickly and I'll have a vision, but yeah, it's definitely looking through tons of imagery to just having a sense of what I'm feeling, what I like, pinning or mood boarding. And mood boarding doesn't necessarily have to be visual references of other interiors. It could be like, a landscape shot for the color, or it could be people at a fairground for an emotion or a feeling, you know, different rooms can give you a sense of different senses. And I'm starting to sort of move a little bit out of residential and more into commercial spaces, because then I kind of get to impart my own vision into a space rather than consider the client so much. And I do like to create spaces where you feel I'm, I'm really considering like how the individual is going to feel in that space. Like some areas you want them to feel maybe a little bit on edge or excited. And what does that feel like? And then there might be other environments where you want to just feel really comfortable and at home. Generally, my aesthetic is quite comforting. I feel like most things should be, do not feel overly precious and feel like you can touch them and engage in the environment and not feel like, you know, but I do also, I do like those in beautifully clean, like inspiring spaces where you do feel slightly on edge because everything is so like clean and thought through and highly designed. So, you know, just depending on how I'm feeling at the moment, just like trends in general, but yeah, it's interesting. I always, I always find that I create and I look at a bunch of stuff. I don't tend to look at current things. I always look at stuff from the past to come up with something new. And then often I find like my mood boards, when I look at them, I'm like, two years later, I was like, oh, this is coming in fashion. I think I should be a a trend director for a color company or a furniture brand because I loved that two years ago. And then when it comes out, I'm already over it and like moving on to the next thing. Well, you know, one of the big things also going on right now is these immersive experiences where you go into space of whatever paintings come to life or God knows what. It's just happening constantly. I'm reading about new spaces that are being opened that are just only immersive. Is that a something that you'd be curious about? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Like we did something when we launched Noah about a year in, we created these five vignettes in these floating windows at the new gallery Lafayette in Paris and try to create immersive experiences in that. And that was really fun. And one of them it was actually a virtual reality um, experience with, we worked with um, 
oh my god why am I forgetting his walk his name right now I'm having a mental block but the shark guy he photographs and films sharks he dives with the sharks okay Patrick Muller Muller. okay thank you yeah incredible and he created this 3D experience where he's with the sharks and you're literally swimming and with all these incredible beautiful sharks but yes I think it would be really fun to do a project like that that is like very much taking you like kind of into a zone and evoking a feeling that's a little bit bordering more on like a true artist and installation art and there are some I was just on a panel a few days ago and the uh, the Harry on the panel he, he does that kind of he works does residential projects as well but his I feel like he's moving in that direction of like a Kenzo digital you know and creating these really immersive experiences which is super fun and that would be exciting to to do something like that well i look forward to seeing everything that you'll be doing in the future <laughs> whether yeah. it's immersive or otherwise and thank you so much estelle for being on my show today thanks for having me bye, bye. you've been listening to light culture you can find us at shopverb.com light culture or at light culture podcast Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at Shop Burb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.